0: What's up and welcome to the Making a Millionaire Podcast. I'm your host, David Lancaster, and I used to be a realtor. I now work with both realtors and lenders on their social media game, creating marketing strategies, staying up on current tech, and everything associated with leveling up their business. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing rockstar realtors, top producing lenders, team owners, real estate coaches, marketing, sales, tech gurus, and a whole lot more. Now, I don't want you to think you can simply listen to a podcast while chilling on the couch and you'll magically become a millionaire. It takes a lot of hard work and sticking to the strategies you've implemented in your business. And that's why I'm here, to get you those strategies. Are you ready? It's go time. Alrighty, what's up guys? Welcome to another episode of Making a Millionaire Podcast. We are on episode two. I am your host, David Lancaster, and we are joined today by Cody Sullivan. Uh, Cody, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you doing currently?
1: Uh, Just working away and all this COVID stuff going on right now, man. It's been crazy. We're, we got a good group of guys down here in Tri-Cities and we're chipping away showing houses. We've had some of our best months during this COVID stuff. So it's been, it's been fun. It's, It's exciting.
0: Awesome. So you're doing real estate as a realtor and you're doing a few other things too, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I started real estate over in Spokane, and uh, that's where you and I met, you know, I trained you and taught you how to be a a good real estate agent back in the day, and then uh, ended up here in Tri-Cities, and I'm running a a team over here in Tri-Cities, and I'm currently the director of expansion for top agent team, Um, and other than that, you know, got a little bit of consulting stuff on the side and having some fun.
0: Dude who do wears many hats? No, and and I like to ask people this, especially realtors, because I don't think anybody grew up as a kid being like, I'm gonna be a realtor when I grow up. Like, what led you to that career path? You right, right. It, it seems silly, but you know, no kid's like, I'm gonna go sell houses. As much as you may love it, that was never a childhood dream. Like your your past careers and leading up to real estate, what did you do that kind of helped segue into it?
1: Yeah, well, actually, I still ask myself that question. <laughs> Am I gonna be a real estate agent? Uh, no, but it's funny. I stumbled into this. I, I originally, my wife was finishing up her undergrad in Ellensburg, Washington, and um, I had about three thousand bucks to my name, and you know, wanted to marry the girl, and, and was like, you know what? I need to put some food on the table. My college degree was not finding me any work in Ellensburg. I got a degree in exercise physiology, which I don't know if anybody knows Ellensburg too well, but there's not too many gyms asking for for new guys there. So, yeah, so no gyms in Ellensburg were looking for anybody to hire. I started to you know sit down and think like, okay, if I can't go be a strength coach somewhere and use my degree, you know, making thirty thousand dollars a year trying to be a strength coach for a college, uh, what am I going to get into? And so. I ended up swallowing my pride and I told my, my girlfriend, then now wife, I said, I, I, I just got to do something. So I walked on a car lot uh, and I went to go apply for a position to wash cars and just put some food on the table. And um, by the time I walked out of the interview, they did the Wolf of Wall Street, sell me this pen. And I was like, why would I have to sell you a pen if I'm washing cars? But I did it anyways. And I walked out of the interview and they offered me a sales position. And from then on, it really opened up my eyes to how lucrative sales can be and how much more fun and, and uh, uh, I guess, optimistic you have to be going into each day. And so I ended up uh, becoming the floor manager at a car lot and, and desking a lot of deals and, and doing some fun stuff. And then my wife got into medical school in Spokane. And I didn't really want to work in the car industry anymore. It was a lot of hours. I was working 80, 90 hours a week. Uh, making good money, but wanted to change. And my stepmom down in California is she's a career real estate agent in, in Riverside, and mm-hmm. she just goes, "Dude, you gotta you gotta try real estate. Like the margins are great. There's a lot of freedom of schedule, and you're not gonna have to work 90 hours a week."
0: Right. You certainly can, but you don't have to.
1: True. And I've probably done that a few times in the last few years. But you don't you don't have to if you don't want to, which is nice. It's nice having the freedom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I always love real estate. I, I, I firmly believe when you're a realtor, you get back what you put in. So if you put it in the 90 hours and you're grinding away, you're gonna get that back. You know, yeah. but if you don't but if you don't need to make that or you don't want to, you don't have to. There's so much freedom because you were literally running your own business. Yeah. So you were in Spokane as a realtor, that's where we met. Um, you you then transitioned and you went to Tri-Cities, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually the fifth agent on top
1: agent team. I think we're doing about 25 million a year when I started in uh, back in 2017. Uh, And then um, I realized that one of the things that top agent team was missing at the time was like a sales curriculum. And it was something that I had taught. uh, I was teaching sales and negotiation to Chevy guys that were Chevy sales guys and being the floor manager and doing all that stuff. I really had a passion for like watching that light bulb kind of click, you know, Right. And so I realized that there was an opportunity to kind of give back to the team with top agent team. And so I started teaching these sales classes and I was right about when you started joining. And, um, you know, so then one thing just became the next, you know, and it was one day led to four days a week, led to five days of sales meetings a week. And I was honing in my skills and really helping other people blossom. And, uh, you know, we had this old guy named Brad, who you remember. And, Oh, he was yeah. really struggling for a long time before I got on the team. And, and I'm not taking all of the, uh, the credit here because he certainly worked his butt off. But, you know, some minor tweaks in his verbiage and what he was saying and how he was going about his conversations really made a world of a difference for him. And I think he became our top
0: producer that year. Yeah, yeah. What did he sell? Something like it was his first year in real estate and he sold 34 houses, I want to say. Something like that.
1: It's yeah. Like 30s he, he didn't sell one house for six months and then in the next 12 months sold 34.
0: Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, so
1: one thing led to the next, became a little bit more influential on the team. We grew the team to about 70, 80 million dollars at the end of 2019, Uh, and then my wife and I, she's in medical school. She got transferred to Tri-Cities. It was this natural progression of, you know, hey, let's do this expansion thing. Let's keep this going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, and here we are. I've got six guys here in Tri-Cities just hired on another two or three and going through
0: their classes right now and, and we're chugging along. Perfect so you pretty much took what was happening in Spokane went to Tri-Cities and you're just trying to replicate it and build it and grow which is great because that's kind of the meat and potatoes of what I want to get to. Now when your wife had originally said that you know oh she's getting transferred to Tri-Cities you're like we got to go down there. Had you intended on building a team or had you kind of kicked around the idea of going solo or what was your thought process there? You know, it's a tough question because
1: obviously when you become a successful and experienced real estate agent, you've done it for a while. Everybody starts to ask themselves that question, you know, what does the grass look like on the other side of the fence? And, you know, certainly we all ask ourselves, what would this look like if I went out and did my own thing? What if I was a solo agent? What if I built my own team? And I knew I knew how to do that. Uh, Ultimately, it came down to the decision of I liked the people that I was working with a lot, and um, I knew that there was some security, quite a bit of security, in fact, knowing that if I stayed with the same program, I knew I was only going to be here for two years, and it allowed me to kind of make a a lot smoother transition, having an already functional system than going to start my own, which I knew I could do um, at a high level, but It just worked out better for our plan because we're going to have to move here in a couple or actually about 13 months for my wife's residency program.
0: Ah, just enough time to get comfortable. Yeah. That, ah, that's rough. But no, and that makes perfect sense. And I think so many agents out there um, that are solo or on a team right now, they're like, I want to go start my own thing. I want to do my own thing. And there's definitely something to be said about getting into the upper levels of your team, figuring out the inner workings, helping that team grow and do things. And if you can do it like you did, go replicate that somewhere else because you're already working with people who have done it and it gets rid of a ton of the risk. Um, but you yeah. can't absolutely go start your team you know, by yourself and make it happen. There's plenty of success stories. Unfortunately, there's also plenty of failure stories. For the people that want to go out and start their own team and build a business like that, what did that process look like when you first got to Tri cities and you just started breaking ground there? How'd that process go? Just for the people that are wondering.
1: Yeah. Good question. Lot, lo- lots, of ups and downs. Uh, the first six months were um, certainly not as, uh, as scaled out or I guess exponentially uh, rapid in growth, like we had planned on, um, you know, a lot of mistakes made for sure in, in growing the team um, but I, I guess to answer your question a little bit more directly, we, we came here with leads. So that was a great start, right? Building the pipeline, um, you know, buying online leads, creating, you know, kind of just plugging into the original system in Spokane. All of our transaction cor- coordinators are back in Spokane. We just hired on one here in Tri-Cities, which is going to help a lot with you know, sign ordering and, and staging and photography and stuff and making it a little bit more scalable as we've now grown past that. Um, but initially, uh, it really was just kind of getting here and getting to work and, uh, having a lead system, having a CRM system and having the systems in place, uh, really helped us kind of get started. Uh, right. and then it took that six months of building that pipeline and, and establishing the name and understanding the lenders and the vendors to work with. I mean, that takes time in a new city
0: with new agents that have never worked in real estate. So it, sure. it, it took a little bit of time, but we're going good now. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're building a brand, you're building a business, even though they're established in Spokane, Tri-Cities doesn't necessarily know who you are. If you could go back in time to that Cody that was just starting out and doing things, what are a few tips or pieces of advice you would give him that might even put you further ahead of than where you are now? Okay, go back in time to start of Tri-Cities or back in the time to when I started in real estate? Let's
1: just start with Tri-Cities. All right. <laughs> Um, well, I would say starting in Tri-Cities, one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a team co-owner slash leader, branch manager, if you'll call it, um, the biggest mistake that I made was I had a bunch of residual business left in the pipeline from when I was actively an agent in Spokane. So I had a lot of cash flow coming in, and I figured that if I replicated as quickly as I did in Spokane in terms of agents growth and, and getting them to get houses under contract, that would allow me to allocate a lot more of my time to scaling the team in recruiting and hiring and interviewing and name recognition and advertising and all of those kind of mundane things that aren't necessarily immediate revenue makers, uh, but are long-term growth and longevity for the company. So I had I'd made the mistake of actually focusing too much on that early on. And Uh, Like I said, the first six months were difficult because me being, you know, anywhere from eight to $12 million a year in production myself, when you take that away, right, and focus on other things, it's really difficult to run a profitable business and then reallocate those funds for scale. And so I did it in reverse order where I was trying to scale too quickly rather than just focusing on the revenue side, which was what we all do, which is selling houses, acquiring listings and replicating it uh, moving forward. So, makes I would, sense, so I would give myself the advice of, of, even if you're starting a team, don't think for a second that
0: that's going to be able to mean that, that you're out of production for quite some time. Right. And I think a lot of agents think that too. I'll go start a team. Uh, I'll wrap rope in eight, 10 agents, maybe even in smaller six agents, five agents, and they're just going to go pump it out. And I'm just going to sit back and work on systems and processes and recruiting and think that that's going to keep the bills paid. And I think anybody who's created a team is going to tell you the exact opposite. I know the team, when when we parted ways and I went to another company, Mm -hmm. that team was very new as well. And that was what I was seeing there is the team owner was working just as hard, if not harder. and, And tell me if this is you working harder than the actual agents on the team. And the vast majority of the income for the team was coming from the team owner. So it's almost reverse of what you think it would be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The first eight months here, I was probably 80 to 90% of our volume in GCI, house under contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And and that's not to be braggadocious. It's just once that clicked in that first six months, it was like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this wrong the the entire time. I'm focusing on scale too much and not focusing on revenue and business. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then I just had to put my nose down get back. Get my house in order a little bit, right? And, and just right. do what I have to do. Um, luckily, one of the things that brought my agents up watching me produce, right? It validated the, the leads that we were getting when I was converting on them. It validated the process that I'm teaching them in terms of coaching. And ultimately, it gave me a lot of clarity in how to run the business of okay, let's focus on revenue first do the Tony Robbins method or the, even the, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the investor guy,
0: um, Andrew Carnegie, no, the older no. guy, conservative guy, pay all your debt. Oh, oh, uh,
1: Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey. Yes. There it is. So the Dave Ramsey method, right? Like create revenue. Don't spend it until you have it versus the Grant Cardone, which is, Hey, be broke if it's gonna make your revenue back. Now, both great theologies, right, in in theory, but ultimately I had to go back, create revenue, and then now we're in a comfortable spot
0: where now I can reallocate some of my time to scale and start growing the company. That makes total sense, and I, I love that advice, and I think it's sound advice. You start off, focus on the sales, focus on the revenue, don't necessarily focus on necessarily growing the team, and then let it scale, take that money you make that's extra, Dump it back into the team and kind of let it grow that way. So, talking about scale and growing the team, you're you've probably been doing quite a bit of recruiting, I would think, right? Yeah, at I least think at uh, one
1: point. Yeah, I think since you joined the team and being a part of your onboarding process and training, you know, all the way to now, I've I've probably been a part of onboarding and training over 30 agents just within our, our team, not including my consulting on the side. So I've, I've worked with a lot of people, all shapes and sizes,
0: that's for sure. So, so you've seen a bit of it to say, and, and I love, there's a saying by Gary Vaynerchuk, to hire is to guess, and I might be butchering this, I'm sorry, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but to hire is to guess, to fire is to know. So ideally, when you're recruiting these agents, you're taking a huge guess on them, And like you said, there's people come in all different shapes, styles, uh, mentalities, all those things. What are some of the things that you look for in a dynamite agent or somebody that could have the potential to be a dynamite agent?
1: Yeah. Um, So definitely over time, you know, we used to follow the Keller Williams method, you know, uh, find out their disc profile and do a lot of that stuff. And we still use a lot of that in our recruiting today. Um, But I've kind of developed a, a few questions that are really important for me to ask. And, You know, uh, when I was going through the interview process with a couple of different teams, I picked up on those things and it kind of stuck with me, you know, finding out what your plan is separately from income. Um, It's a big indicator to me when people say I want to make $100,000 a year, right? That's kind of the cliche answer that most people say. One of the best recruits that I've recently hired told me with zero real estate experience uh, that if he's not making $250,000 a year in the next five years, then he's going to feel like he failed. That was huge. I mean, that was like, that was exciting for me to hear because that indicates to me that he's not just saying a number because he wants me to hear a number to, I guess, comprehend his level of what he envisions in success. He wanted to make $250,000 a year so he could make life-changing money. And so I knew from the get-go with him that he was going to hold himself accountable to that number and that if he shoots for 250 and misses and he makes a hundred and a quarter in his first year, I mean, he's gonna be happy, right? Yeah. So um, I always ask what their, um, what their perfect year looks like 12 months from, from hiring them. I say, I hire you tomorrow. What does your perfect year look like? And I'm very keen on listening to, is it all about income or is it about freedom? Is it about spending time with family? It, it gives me a lot of indicators as to what their home life looks. Like. I've too much into for personal reasons. Right. Um, but it, it gives me an idea of what kind of support system they have at home and what they're fighting for. Like their why. Right. Right. And then additionally, one of the questions that I always ask, I actually picked this up from a buddy that was uh, getting recruited by docu Stein over in Seattle. And I always ask him this question. I say, let me ask you a question. If you had the opportunity to make $10,000 selling 10 houses to 10 different people, and it takes you 12 months to do that because of the time associated with it, escrow, et cetera, et cetera. You had that opportunity or if you had the opportunity to sell one house to one client and make $10,000 and it takes you three months, which would you prefer? And the answer I'm looking for, and hopefully none of my new recruits are watching this, but the answer I'm looking for is I really like people that talk about selling the 10 houses because I'm big on network and organic growth. That's something that I've found great success for both in Spokane and here in Tri-Cities is how can you build that organic network, that sphere of influence really rapidly, really organically, and most importantly to me, authentically right cuz people right. talk about handing out business cards and putting them up everywhere i don't believe in that crap man like i don't hand my card out unless i, I genuinely think that i can provide value to you even if it's just a friendship you know what i'm saying oh, for so sure. so i like people that answer i'd rather sell 10 houses to 10 people because it's consistent over time i learn more about the industry i learn more about the contracts and it taps me into 10 people's 10 person network so now I have a hundred people work versus one
0: or 11 if you count their 10. See, and I love that question because it's so opposite of what you think. You would think the right answer sitting on the other side of the table is, oh yeah, if I can sell that one in three months, then I, if I can replicate that over and over again. But the true replication comes from having those 10 deals because those 10 deals eventually they're going to have to turn around and sell again more than likely. Not to mention they have a sphere of influence. You're just building building your brand, essentially, and the more people you get in front of. it, And I think that's something that's missed a lot with agents today is I call them orphan clients because you, you do the deal with them, you're super close, you have every intention of the world in following up with them and keeping top of mind and getting more business from that. And then three years go by, four years go by, they don't remember your face, they don't remember their name, your name. So when it's time for them to sell their house, they don't even think about you. And that's huge missed opportunity because you already laid all that groundwork, all you had to do was maintain it.
1: Yeah, I'll do you one even better. I'll I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about this. I tell new agents this all the time. You know, agents get lazy over time. oh Oh, fifty thousand bucks. I'm not gonna make any money off of that. know yeah, forget that. Screw that. I'm just gonna cherry pick a little bit. Yep. I'll tell you a great story in Spokane. I got a lead for a fifty thousand dollar lot up in Kettle Falls, and for those of you that know Spokane area, it ain't a jump, hop, and a skip. It's a little bit of a drive, right? It's it a drive. And so I go up there and I sell this guy vacant land up in Kettle Falls, got to know a little bit, took care of him on the transaction, just like he was one of my expensive clients. Three weeks later, he calls me up to sell his $425,000 house. Three weeks later, he only Hmm. wanted that land up there to go hunt. So it's just like, you never know how the network and how you treat people, no matter what their price point is. And as long as your professionalism is the same throughout any price point and any client, you never know who they know and you never know what their intentions are moving forward.
0: Oh, 110%. I actually helped a client and I won't say any names. We can talk after this and I'll, and I'll fill you in on the story. If you're interested, I helped a client. It was a gal buying home, buying a home and I had met her boyfriend. She had brought her boyfriend with her a few times and you know, they were a little bit older and, I was talking to him, and again, I won't drop any names here, but at one point, he's like, oh, you know what my, because he, he's like, oh, I had a hard day. I was like, oh, what do you do? He's like, you know what my last name is, right? And I was like, yeah, it's this. And he's like, just like this store. And I was like, oh, and this is a huge national, every major city in the country has one of these, and they're very big retail store. No idea. We, were, we weren't even looking at multi-million dollar houses. I would have never guessed that I could have had that kind of person enter my sphere. And he did, completely unknowing. So it's very similar to that $50,000 piece of property. Like, it's not worth my time. That guy had a decent-sized house to sell. And so don't, don't is- think anything's too too small for you. Don't, don't be too hubris in your business. I've
1: you got my like wheels turning. Now I'm trying to figure out if you know the owner of Walmart and you
0: guys are kicking it on the weekend. Like I'm just confused. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I won't tell you. Maybe I'll save it for uh, the next after. I'll, that way, this is how I get you on the next podcast. Like you come on the next one, then I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: I'm going you know, to be looking up all the zip codes there and trying to find his last name and figuring out who it is. Yeah. Good <laughs> luck, buddy. You, you actually, if you did that, you could probably figure it out. But I, I love this idea of a team because so many people, and we've hit on it a little bit that, you know, you need to focus a lot on what you do as an agent while starting a team, grow it slowly, do those things. What mm-hmm. I think is super important, I think a lot of people question is what are the costs associated with starting a team? Because mm-hmm. some people probably have this ridiculous number in their head that's way too high. And I'm mm-hmm. sure some people think they can do it with a couple of nickels and a shiny penny. So what in your experience, what are some costs associated if you did want to go that route?
1: Yeah. So with, uh, with my real estate consulting, um, I have a lot of clients that are, that are starting teams, right? They've been successful agents and they question, right? What do I buy first? Cause there's all these flashy objects, right? You go to Keller Williams family reunion, you go to EXPs, you know, family reunion, you go to all these events and there's all these vendors trying to sell you the next big thing. That's going to exponentially grow your business. The most important thing to me, and I knew this when I, was recruit, when I was being recruited as an agent, the most important thing in sales is opportunities. And opportunities, in another word, is leads. Right. The first thing that you should allocate funds into is getting in front of people. You can always, over time, hone in your sales ability. You can always, over time, create a great CRM or go to a different vendor that's a little bit more expensive like as time goes on to scale your business, to scrape through the woodwork a little bit. But no matter what, you will not sell a house unless you get in front of somebody and you have somebody to get in front of. So, you ha- I mean, in today's day and age, you've got to get with online lead generation. It doesn't matter what platform it is. Facebook, Instagram, Google Pixels, IDX websites, CRM platforms that provide it for you, Realtor.com, Zillow. I know all the real estate agents are fighting Zillow right now. But at the end of the day, does it put money in your pocket? Does it get you that brand recognition as you're building your business? Sure. Do you have to dance with the devil a little bit to be floating in the sky one day? Sure. Okay. So what I'm saying is that the most important thing for me in terms of costs is allocate as much money as you can comfortably to lead generation, commit to that for a three to six month period, because that's the average timeline of online leads when you're starting, is that actually six months with online leads? And then once you can look back, retroactively look back and say, okay, how much was my ROI? Let's relocate to X zip code or Y zip code, right? Because those were my most profitable ones. Or you can say, hey, let's look back over time. Let's look back and say, let's invest in a CRM because we've missed a lot
0: of follow-up opportunities because we didn't have a great CRM, right? Bingo. Yeah, and I, Cody, this is why I love you. Just going back to that whole Zillow thing you said, you're right, Every single, almost every single agent I talk to is like, Zillow's the devil, I hate Zillow. This is why I love you, you don't bullshit. You're like, if that's what it takes for you to be successful, because other agents will be like, I would rather die than use Zillow. You're like, well, good, then you can fucking hold your head under the water, I'll use Zillow, I'll crush it, and then I'll dump them, and when you quit real estate because it was too hard, I'll still fucking be here. Like, dude, yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. It's the
1: same same reason why a high level thinker joins a team at first to get their business started. Do you want to give away 50% of your commission? Nobody does, but you have to use it as a vehicle to get to the point to where you can detach from it, reallocate funds, redistribute your time. But you you have to get there before you can get
0: there, right? You can't push the cart before the horse. Exactly. Yeah. What? Along those lines too, those people that are just not willing to do things, what do you think are, you know, maybe say two of the biggest reasons why you think a a brand new team would fail? And you might have already said it it might just be a recap, but just curious. Yeah, Uh, good question. So one of my most recent clients uh, uh, with consulting, she just
1: got hired on with me. She started uh, she's starting, excuse me, a new team. And, you know, it was all, it's all dandelions and daisies when you're getting started. It's exciting. You know, you're, you're going on to a new team. You got this group of people that's joining on. You don't know how successful they are or are not going to be. You know, everything is, is sunshine and rainbows. And she calls me and she says, you know, now I'm having a problem with accountability. All right? And so there's a fine line, in my opinion, between accountability and punishment. Right. And mm-hmm. so one of the biggest reasons why I think teams fail is that they have zero accountability. But also one of the biggest reasons why I think culture gets negatively impacted or affected in teams that are even potentially successful or are successful is because the, the accountability becomes a punishment. Right. Right. The whole point of accountability is to is to jive, live and thrive. Right. So I would say accountability is one of the biggest things you have to have some method of measurable accountability to drive success and create opportunity for your clients. Um, the second thing, uh, is, uh, with, with teams being unsuccessful is mostly it stems back to the hiring process. Uh, early on when we, when we were hiring on a lot of people with top Asian team, we had made the mistake of, of, Hiring a lot of people and trying to just get a lot of people in the door, and then trusting our sales process that we we're going to be able to teach them how to be successful agents over time. And although that can be a very good method, you have to understand there's going to be some fallout from that, uh, as well as it, it's going to take more time to groom some of those people to get them to, to where you need to be. Um, right. If you slow down in your hiring process and you really make it a sequential timeline of events and making sure that they're a good culture fit and making sure that you can provide for them just as much as they're going to provide for you. They're not just a number, right? You right. need to know that you're going to be a good personality fit and a good coach and a good leader for them just as much as they are for you. So I would say hiring and yeah. accountability are probably the two biggest factors that I've seen um, make successful or hurt teams in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that falls right in line because I work with a lot of real estate agents as well and team leaders and things like that. And I think those, I, if I had to give two, it'd be those exact same two. I think those are the two that are the, the biggest for them to fall on their face. And sometimes they can be the hardest things to notice that you're doing wrong as well. Um, but and I, we're I gotta almost... give a third before you hang up on me here. No,
1: go for it. The third one is, The third one is team leaders not providing value anymore. Once you get to a successful, like once you get to a successful team, if you're the owner or you're the team leader, if you are not providing value, there's a ton of people out there. I'll never forget this analogy. I heard it from a uh, a team owner in uh, Portland. They've got a bunch of branches. They've had people, great retention, staying there for a long time. And they they said this, would you rather have 100% of a grape or 10% of a watermelon? And the answer, if you think about the proportions of the fruit, is 10% of a watermelon. Right, but yeah, you,
0: yeah, I, I had to stop and think, but I'm like, okay, yeah, watermelon, dumb. What's the size? <laughs> How do I slice the watermelon? I'd get a piece of paper and a pen and like, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> you're gonna go buy fruit after this and you're gonna measure, I know it. I mean, I'll uh, send you the picture. But it's a great analogy because at the end of the day, I would rather have 10% of a watermelon because not only is it more in volume, yeah, sure, is, is somebody else getting the lion's share of that watermelon, yeah. But as a team leader, you have to provide enough value that it actually becomes a watermelon and it doesn't just stay a grape, right? right? Otherwise, people are always going to be searching on the other side. They're always going to be looking over the the other side of the fence. But retention comes with agents, team leaders, and owners providing a lot of value. And that's not just leads and CRMs and systems and sales training. That's sometimes a lot of emotional support. That's a lot of, you know, private support. I can't tell you how many meetings you and I even had, you know, just between you and me about, hey, what's going on at home? How's the family? Like we shared and opened up a lot with each other. And you felt like there was a support system when you came to work rather than just being a number and a desk.
0: hundred percent. It goes from being a job to, and, and I hate when companies say this, like, Oh, we're a family. Cause 99% of them say that and they're full of shit. But when you actually yeah. find that place and you, you build these relationships and, just, and you have these friendships, it starts feeling like a family. And I 100% agree. That's how you get the loyalty that's how you get those steady eddies and great agents to stay. And it, it, it isn't, it is never a financial decision. It's, it's an emotional one. They're like, no, these are my people. This is my tribe. This is where I belong. This is where I'm going to thrive. This is where I want to be because at the end of the day, I'm a real estate agent. This is my business. I can choose where I go. And this is what I choose. So I I love that you touched on that. That was a good third. should have been your first one. That's okay. I won't hold it against you. <laughs> oh, I forgot. No, one more. Cool. So in closing, um, if somebody is in the Tri Cities and they want to buy or sell a home using you or your team, or if a real estate agent or I don't know if you work with lenders, maybe a lender is listening and they want some coaching from you, where can they find yeah.
1: you at? So uh any real estate inquiries here in Tri Cities, obviously we love referrals. Um, you know, it's it's been We've been blessed to get a lot of referrals from agents back in Spokane down here to Tri Cities. Uh, A lot of good old friends back in Spokane and Coeur d'Alene and all over that area. Uh, If they want to reach me in terms of real estate stuff, my email is Cody, C-O-D-Y, at topagentteam.com. My cell phone number is 360-461-0562. We'd love to create relationships, love to pass referrals back and forth. Obviously, uh, we'd love to help anybody out here in Tri-Cities. Um, and then as far as my consulting goes, um, I do real estate consulting. I've got several clients. I do, I've got a couple of custom construction home builders. I've got some retail, uh, people that I do some sales consulting for. Uh, I do phone sales trainings for a couple of car dealerships. And then I have one-on-one coaching with real estate as well as how to build a team, uh, kind of masterminds and brainstorms. We all get collectively together, uh, brainstorm each other off of that. Uh, my company is called Cypher Consulting. And uh, they can reach me at my personal email at Sullivan Inc, S-U-L-L-I-V-A-N-I-N-C-28 at gmail.com. And then the phone number is the same. Uh, would love to help anybody out. We love adding people to the
0: group. We have a lot of fun when we do these calls. So That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you sitting here and talking with us today, Cody, and the rest of you guys. See you in the next episode. Sayonara.